to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Christ is in you. He's God the Son. He's the creator of all things. He's the eternal God. He's the all-powerful God. He's the all-knowing God. You know, he, he's all of those attributes. He's the holy God. He's those things. Okay, think about this. If he is in you, something's going to happen. And, you know, when Christ is in you, there is an internal impetus toward the things of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, in a message titled, Until Christ is Formed in You. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We're picking up in the eighth verse of chapter four. As we pick up in verse eight and go on through, through verse 20, it's verse 19 that I really want to focus on today where Paul there speaks of the, the fact that he's laboring again for them until Christ is formed in them. And so that's where we're ultimately headed today. But you see in these verses that Paul, he moves from instructing them as a teacher to appealing to them as a, both a friend and, and then really as a father. And, and so you see in these verses, it's very personal. You see Paul's heart for the Galatians and what comes through is his genuine love for them. So Paul really loved them. He had a, a real pastor's heart for them. He cared about them as people. They weren't just, uh, you know, for him, they were not a means to the end of his ambitions. That was really the case with the false teachers. The false teachers' interest in the Galatians really was very um, selfish. They, they, they only cared about what the Galatians could do for their popularity. That's, that's pretty much what it was. And Paul says that in the verses that we read there. And, um, but you see in these verses as he's going back and he's reminding them of the time that he spent with them, you, you just see this beautiful heart that comes through, a true pastor's heart. And so we want to look at what that looks like, especially as he refers to the fact that he's laboring for them. But, but let's just walk real quickly through verses 8 through 18, and then we'll come and we'll spend most of our time on verse 19. So in verse 8, he says, but then, referring back to their previous state before they came to faith in Christ, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain." So Paul's just saying, how is it that you, you know, now that you've come to know 
God, and more importantly, God knows you, and you, you've entered into this beautiful relationship, how is it that you're returning to these things? He refers to them as the weak and the beggarly elements. Now, the Galatians, remember, were not formally Jews. They were Gentiles. But in their, in their own experience, they would have been idolaters. They would have been the, the worshipers of false gods. And in that worship, they would have engaged in observing days and months and seasons and years and different festivals and things like that. You could even think of uh, something like astrology. It's all based on you know, the, the stars, the heavens and so forth. So that's, that's what they would have been doing. And, and now Paul actually says that in, in embracing Judaism at this point, you're, you're essentially doing the same thing. You're returning to those same kinds of things. Because at this point in history, of course, uh, Judaism is, is gutted of, of its uh, former spiritual content. It, it, of course, did have spiritual content from God that was relevant for the time. But once Jesus came, that was all done away with. So now all that's left is the, the shell, the observance of these different things. So Paul says to the Galatians, in embracing Judaism, you're essentially just going back to what you had before, just under another name. And, and he says, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. So at this point, Paul is just concerned that maybe all of his efforts toward them in the end would prove to be in vain, that they really didn't embrace Christ as they seemed to have uh, when he was among them. So he says, as he goes on, he says, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. Now remember, Paul is, his background is being not just a Jew, but his background is being like the Jews Jew. He's like the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's the guy who, his background is complete and total devotion to the law. But when he comes to them, he doesn't come with any of that. He's left all of that behind. He comes to them free in Christ. So that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, look, I became like you. I, I came with this freedom. And this is what I originally introduced to you and so he's pleading with them to basically to re-embrace what they formerly had. And then he says, for uh, you have not injured me at all. Now, he's, he's referring back to his experience among them. And he says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So you see, he's just reminding them of the experience that they'd had together. And he's describing it as, as one where they embraced him totally. Even though he came there and during his time there, he was physically afflicted with something. But that wasn't deterrent to them and their embracing of him. He says, you, you even embraced me in that situation. You even accepted me like I was an angel or, or like I was even Jesus. 
And your affection was so deep toward me that if it were possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And so what happened? <laughs> That's really what he's saying. What, what happened? He's wanting them to remember back to the, the sweetness of the relationship that they formerly had. What happened? What has changed? But then he says this in verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So that's what's happened. Paul is not going along with their new perspective. He's not only not going along with it, he's telling them, no, what you're embracing is false. And so that's the thing that's caused the tension. These false teachers have come in and duped them and they've embraced that. And Paul is pushing back on them. And so this is where the tension has arisen. And so he says, regarding the false teachers, he said, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. So Paul strikes at the root of what was going on with these false teachers. They wanted the Galatians to be sort of a notch on their belt. Their interest in the Galatians was purely self-centered. They wanted to be able to say, oh yeah, we've got this group of folks over there in Galatia that are following our way. So it was all about their own ego. It was all about their own selfish ambitions. That's what they were doing. And, And so Paul just nails it here where he tells them very straightforwardly that they really want you to be zealous for them. That's why they're treating you the way they are. That's why they're flattering you. That's why they're uh, making you feel so special and so important. So you will in turn give them that same attention and that will be a boost for their egos. And so he says, you know, it's good to be zealous and a good thing, but the point is this, this isn't a good thing. But then in verse 19, my children, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. So Paul is wanting them to know that, look, you know, this is not anger that is driving him. This is genuine concern. Now his tone has been rather firm. And of course, we saw that when he referred to them as foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So his tone's been rather firm, but he's saying, listen, I pretty much what he's trying to express here is like, if you could hear the tone of my voice, if you you knew my heart, I'm not, this isn't out of anger, this is out of deep concern. I wish I was with you so you you could hear my tone. And from that point on, he's going to go on once again, and he's going to explain to them the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's gonna use a brilliant illustration from the story of Abraham and uh, Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael and all of that back in Genesis. So that he's going to show how that, that historical event actually illustrates the, the two covenants. So. We'll come to that next time, but I want to focus in on mainly two things here. First of all, just the whole picture of Christ in you or Christ being formed in you. And then secondly, how Paul says that he's laboring 
in birth again until Christ is formed in them. So when we think about this idea of Christ being formed in you, this is really what it is to be a Christian. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he says this, he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So when we talk about being a Christian, what we're talking about is literally having Christ dwelling in us. That's what a Christian is. And we need to state that. It needs to be said repeatedly in our day because we still live in an environment where many people think that a Christian is something other than that, or they, they don't see that as necessarily the, the primary definition of being a Christian. A lot of people still think of being a Christian in terms of just either uh, being part of a denomination or attending a church service or of um, being a, a good person. Those, those are the things that, that people still hold on to. I mean, if you, if you just think out into just sort of the general public or you think of into the realm of, you know, the celebrities or the politicians or whatever, you know, how often do we hear that so-and-so is a Christian? Or, or they would even say for themselves, well, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I understand that they're not, and I'm not gonna put my views on anybody. You know, I hear people say stuff like that all the time. Well, if you were to ask them, well, what does that mean that you're a Christian? They would probably say something like, well, you know, I'm a whatever. You know, they would, they would refer to some denomination or they would say something like, they, well, I attend a, a you know, church fairly regularly or I just do my best to be a good person. How many of them would say, well, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That, that Jesus Christ is dwelling in me. That, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying that I'm a Christian. You're not gonna hear that. <laughs> that's not what's gonna be said because that's not the thinking in our culture, but this is the biblical picture. Being a Christian is nothing less than having Christ dwelling in us. And Paul, to these Galatians, his concern at this point is that maybe that life of Christ has not really been planted in their hearts like I thought it was. You see, Paul is now, like he says, he says, I'm, I'm having doubts about you. I'm wondering, did I labor in vain? Because they're happy to be religious and they're happy to tack the title Christian, if you will, onto their religious experience. But as far as the personal relationship, and Christ dwelling in them, they're not that concerned about that. But that's what it is to be a Christian. The Christian life is God in us. And, and Paul puts it this way to the, uh, to the Philippians. He describes the Christian life as God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I was thinking about this, um, just this whole idea of, of Christ being formed in you. And I, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how, you know, when Christ is in you, I mean, think about that for a moment. Christ is in you. Christ is God. He's God the Son. He's the creator of all things. He's the eternal God. He's the all-powerful God. He's the all-knowing God. You know, he, he's all of those, those attributes. He's the holy God. He's those things. Okay, think about this. If, if he is in you, 
something's going to happen. You think so? I mean, you know, if God is in you, there's something that's going to happen. And, you know, when Christ is in you, there is an internal impetus toward the things of God. That's one of the ways to know that Christ is in us. And I was thinking about how, you know, so often, and I think this is the case with Paul at this point with the Galatians, you know, they're, they're sort of like those people that we even encounter sometimes today where we're assuming that they're believers because they've, they've gone through an external process, you know, that looks like they've become believers. Maybe they've uh, said a sinner's prayer. Maybe they have responded to an invitation publicly to come forward. Maybe they've gone through a baptism or something like that. So we're assuming, okay, now they're a Christian, but then we're finding they don't have any interest in reading the Bible. They don't have any interest in going to church or, you know, discovering what it is to be part of uh, the family of God. They don't have any interest in really seeing their lives changed in the direction of holiness. And, and we keep trying to sort of drag them into this. Like, hey, come on, I'll meet you at church. I'll take you out for breakfast afterwards. I'll, you know, we got all this bribery going on. We're trying to get them, you know, and they're not responding. Why? Well, probably because Christ isn't in them. You see, because when Christ is in you, there is an internal impetus toward the things of the spirit. In some ways, when Christ comes into you, it's almost like at that point, you sort of go into autopilot in, in a sense. I was thinking about this where, you know, when Christ really comes into us, he, he starts to propel us forward in the things of the spirit. Now, of course, we have to cooperate and there are times when we, we have to exercise the certain disciplines and so forth. That's, that's all a reality. But there is, this, there is this propelling that takes place. I was talking to Cheryl about this and we're just saying, you know, I just thinking back on my own conversion. You know, when I came to, to faith in Jesus, nobody had to tell me, you need to read the Bible. Nobody had to tell me you should go to church. Nobody had to tell me to stop doing the things that I was previously doing. And those things were just intuitive. They, I, they were just there. And that's the evidence that Christ is being formed in us. In Hebrews, the, the final chapter, the author puts it like this. He says, may God make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. See, it's the same idea. God is going to work out his will. He's going to work out what is well-pleasing in his sight. How is he doing that? Through Jesus Christ who dwells in us. So this is Paul's great desire for the Galatians, and it's his great concern at this point that maybe that, that hasn't really happened yet. Maybe they have come right to the, to the border of that, and they've, you know, they seemingly embraced it, but now that they're not moving forward in it, Paul says, I'm, I'm at this place where I'm laboring again. I am laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you, laboring in birth. So let's look at just that whole 
picture of what Paul is talking about there. He says that he's laboring for them. And the word there is a word that he commonly uses. And it's a word that speaks of intense labor. And the, the context makes that clear, right? Because he, he uses the analogy of, of birth. And I'm not about to say anything else about that because I've never done that, but I have seen my wife do that four times. And so I know that's, that's as intense as, <laughs> that's labor. It doesn't get any more intense than that. So Paul's talking about a, a, obviously a real intensity in his labor for them. But I, I want to look at five things that Paul does here when he, as he's laboring for them. And the, these five things are things that I think we can learn from as well. Because undoubtedly there are people in our lives or there are going to be people in our lives at certain times where this is going to be the case with them. We're, we're going to recognize that, you know, Christ is not formed in them yet. And, and we're going to have to labor for them. So the first thing that I want you to notice is that Paul continued in his laboring. He continued to love them. He continued to love them. Now, we oftentimes can just so easily write people off, especially when they don't come along the way we think they should or in the time frame that we think they should. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to just sort of say, okay, well, you know, that's it. We're, we're cutting you off. And Paul didn't do that. And it's obvious he didn't do it by the fact that he wrote him this letter. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So Brian, I'm holding in my hands, confronting Christianity, by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is a book you've been trying to get me to read, and I'm going to. Yes. But tell me why I should read it again. You've got to read this book. This book is tremendous. Rebecca is brilliant, and she kind of takes on all of the current questions and opposing views that come up against those who hold the Christian faith and the the title of the book. You know, she's confronting Christianity. People are saying, well, Christians believe this and Christians did that. And she's just taking 12 of the current hardest questions that Christians are facing. Questions like, doesn't religion cause violence? Or how can you take the Bible literally? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? And she does a superb job in addressing these questions. And I think anybody today who's seriously thinking about what's going on in the culture and engaged in the culture, out in the workplace or wherever, this is a book you want to read because this is going to tremendously help you to have a good response when people bring these questions up because many are confronting Christianity and this book will help you to know how to answer those who are confronting Christianity. Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. 
when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to prepare you to answer some of culture's most difficult questions regarding Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.